Our text today is Exodus chapter 3. It features that word. We'll get around to that word. Exodus chapter 3 says the following, starting in verse 9. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. God is speaking, of course. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Moses. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. These, then, are the inspired words we get from Exodus chapter 3. As Advent comes up here in a little while, I want to look at some of the names and titles and attributes of God that are relevant to the time of year. And it is kind of weird, as Pete said, Advent coming up. Really, is that... I mean... Just cruises right by, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to go quite back. I'm not, Pete. I'm not sure you really want to go back and party like it's 1999, like you said. Uh, I mean, you don't. You don't want to relive the Buffalo Bills 90s, do you? You don't. You. You probably have better prospects now. Okay. All right. <clears throat> see. See. Sometimes the preacher's got to offend. Well. However, now. Um, when we talk about this subject, if we're going to talk about God's names, and there are a lot, are there not, in the Bible, names and titles and things that God has referred to and things that either God says, call me this or calls himself this or other people do it, you could spend a lot of time. When I was a kid, there was a long sermon series, I remember, um, and, and it was the names of God. This thing went on for like a year, and what they would do is somebody, somebody creative would make a banner, um, cool-looking, nice banner, like a cloth banner, you know, for every one of these, every one of them, and all the Hebrew names, you know, there were, you know what I mean, would be, there would be when they ended up with like I don't know how many just encircling the sanctuary out in the hallways, and there, these banners were everywhere. It was like a year-long theme on all the names of God. Well, we're not quite going all out, uh, quite like that, but we'll talk about some. And so when you're doing this kind of study. Where to start? And really, there's only one logical place, it seems to me, where you start. And in, in a lot of ways, it's the most complicated place. 
You might think, oh, we're starting with the simple revealed name that's sort of the basis for so many other names, so this will be a simpler one. Not so much. It actually is sort of hard to get our heads around the, me the full meaning of this name, and I'm not even going to promise we can, but we do need to start there. It is the, it, it, there is no other name in the Old Testament where God says, this is my name forever. He doesn't say that about any other kind of name. Now, you know this story in Exodus 3 because we all know about Moses out there in the middle of nowhere for all those years, and then comes this calling to him that he's asked to do a monumental thing, a once-in-a-generation type of task. You could call it a pretty big ask. You know, it's a huge deal. And it's the thing for which Moses will be known, among so many other things, probably most known, I would say, for all time, known as this guy who confronted the most powerful man on earth to say in the world's, well, in the voice, in the words of scripture and in the voice of Charlton Heston, let my people go. <laughs> and it's a mission that's hard really to fathom to be asked to do this. And naturally, Moses, being a regular guy, he makes some excuses. He's not like you and me. You and me, we, we, us here, we, we don't make any excuses for anything. But Moses did. Yeah, so the first one he makes, as we see in the text, is who am I? That's not the most important one for our message, but we'll mention it anyway, because this is the first thing he said, well, who am I? Who am I? And that may be the most natural automatic excuse that people make. Uh, even the It's funny how even the proudest, most confident people, dare we say sometimes the most arrogant people, will suddenly, at times, almost conveniently, be struck with a sudden surge of humility when they hear the call to do something hard that they don't want to do. Suddenly, they're the humblest people of all. Well, I, not little old me. Why, I'm nobody's, but I can't do it. I mean, who am I? And this may, you know, on the surface, sound like a humble thing to say. And maybe in some cases it's genuine, but in some cases I'm afraid it's probably a false humility or just an excuse. I'm nobody special. And so I can't go and serve in that way and do that thing and reach that person and go over there and say those words and stand up for this or that or argue this or, or defend that or talk about this or reach out to that so-and-so person or make restitution over here or whatever I'm supposed to be doing. I think I might feel a calling to it, but I'm nobody special. Probably should send someone else. And Moses pulls that one here, doesn't he? Who am I anyway? And that gets dispensed with pretty quickly. It doesn't matter who you are. It's who I am. It matters. And I'm going to be there, and I'm in this, and I'm the one sending you. So what matters? What does it matter who you are? <laughs> in, some, in some ways, I like that, that, uh, that you know, God doesn't take the bait, sort of. I say that. I don't know that Moses is fishing for anything here. He's just making an excuse. Some people say that sort of thing, and they're looking for compliments. This is why people... Um, this is why people put things on the internet like, um, I'm just I'm just no good. And what they're basically saying is, please compliment me now. Uh, you know, and then you know, after they after they post that, they go back like five seconds later to see how many people have zoomed in to say, You're the best, you're great, you can do it, I love you, you're the best you know, because you know, people need some affirmation. So sometimes they go they put the bait on the hook and they go fishing for some. And that's not what's happening here, but if it were, God is not obliging him. It's not like he says, oh, no way, Moses, you're great. You're the best. He's like, nah, yeah, well, maybe you are nobody. But I'm not nobody. <laughs> that's really what matters here. 
It's like he almost, he didn't say this, I don't read too much into it, but he almost, God could almost, if he would say, well, I'm just nobody special, God could say, yeah, you got that part right. <laughs> but I am. Uh, so, you know, that's what, that's what counts. But the far more interesting question here, far more interesting question that he asks him is the next one. And really, it's a lot bolder a question, isn't it? It's a lot more bold to ask the next question. And to me, it's more surprising. Because I can well imagine anybody asking the first question. It's just human nature to say, oh, me, me, not me, surely not me. I'm nobody special. Who am I? But the next question takes a little dash to throw this one out there. And it's not one I necessarily would think automatically to ask. And it's not who am I, but who are you? Now, keep in mind, of course, I mean, Moses knows who he is, and he, he knows something about God. Moses knows that he's an Israelite. Doesn't he know that? He knows that good and well. He's been told who he is, what his heritage is. We know he knows that because he knows back in Egypt who his people are. He knows that they're the ones being mistreated and enslaved. And the whole reason he's out living in the middle of no man's land in exile, self-imposed, is because he fled. And why did he flee? Because he got mad and killed a guy. And why did he go? Why did, what made him mad enough to kill a guy? The rage of seeing that guy abuse one of his own people. He knows who he is. And in knowing who he is, he surely knows about God calling Abraham. He knows the patriarchs, who he, where he comes from. The idea that the, there's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of his people. So he's not totally ignorant. He's not like the pagan in the middle of nowhere going, Huh, what? Who's talking to me? I ain't never heard of you before. Oh, he knows something about who he is. So why is he asking the question? He's not alien to God's history with the people and God's deeds and the stories. He almost kind of suggests here that that after he were to tell the people, the God of your father sent me, that they may still ask for more. (laughs) And so, in a way, think about this. Just how wild this is. Moses is actually asking God, what is your name? This can be embarrassing sometimes with people sometimes, and I don't and don't pretend this hasn't happened to you. Have you ever, have you ever like got to know someone a little bit and you sort of hit it off pretty quick, you're chatting it up and you feel like, hey, we're kind of becoming friends pretty quick here, and it sort of occurs to you the awkward fact that you don't know this person's name, right? Uh, you can you can be you can you can sort of identify with someone and not yet have quite gotten the name down. You just sort of like, hey, uh, you know. In in, fa- in fact, in some stories, uh, you know, they there's even love in the air, right? And uh, right, isn't it? What's, what's isn't it the song in Les Misérables? I don't even know your name, you know, right? And she says, it's Cosette. Yeah, you don't even know the name. Moses is like, I know you, I know about you, and the deeds done, and the stories, but what's your name? Because you might say, well, that sounds redundant, hasn't he come, hasn't he just said he's the God? He's God, he called him God, why doesn't he know his name? But let's remember here, let's remember that the basic name for God, the very basic name, El, E-L-L, and then the pluralized form of it, which is Elohim, which, which literally is a plural, and sometimes in some contexts it just means gods, 
But Hebrew had a funny thing it could do that we don't really do so much, which is you could use the plural form of a noun to not literally mean a plural, but to sort of magnify the thing, you know? So gods can just mean gods, plural, bunch of gods. But in some uses, it can mean greatness of this one God. We don't really have that equivalent so much. And some scholars call it the plural of majesty. And the closest we come to it is when we hear uh, old, the language of old kings and queens use plural to say our person. We are pleased to, when they're really saying I. <laughs> I mean, that may get close to it. But nevertheless, plural, singular, whatever, El, Elohim, it's still a generic. It's like our English word for God. I can use God, I can talk about a God, a false God, many gods in the world, that is many people worship things, and I can use it lowercase g, and we know that that can be the case. Or I can say, we are, we are here to worship God, and then we put a capital on that, and then we know we're talking about the one true and living God, and we, we play it. We do the same, it's context, isn't it? That tells you. But that's a generic name. And so was El and Elohim. So when, you, when he says the God of your fathers, he's using a more generic name. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's still not a, that is not a proper name. That's closer to a title. Like Lord is a title. Adonai was another name for God, but it's a title. And, and Adonai, of course, would be a would be something used of other men too. Like a great king could be called Lord. And we see that in English too, don't we? There are lords in uh, societies with nobility, but they're not the Lord. So it's more of a title. So we're so he's asking, yeah, but do you have a name that's not just the title, the generic title? Do you have a distinct, unique name? And then, of course, this really strange response that he gets. The answer comes to him in verse 14. It says, I am who I am. And it looks like this. It looks like that. I am who I am. And it looks like that in Hebrew. Echia Ashar. Echia. The Ashar is sort of who or what or that which or that. Sort of, you know, I am what I am, or who I am, or that I am. Most of your English translations say who. But you see the idea. I mean, that. what kind of a name is that? What's the, what's the essence of this name? What could this mean? The essence of the name, of course, is just the be verb. You know, the be verb is the most important verb in any language. It's the most widely used and you know, transitional, it's morphs into millions. It's, it's usually very irregular and bizarre, you know. Is, am, ain't, was, were, you know. The be verb is, the, is, is what this name is built around, this, this title. And so he reiterates, yeah, I mean, Moses might be thinking, wait a minute, I asked for a name, you gave me a proposition. I asked for a name, you gave me a declaration or a theological sentence here. You said I am who I am. Okay, I got it. Now what's your name? So he clarifies, no, you tell the people, that is my name, you tell the people, I am, sent me to you. Because it could get caught into a, like, Abbott Costello loop here, right? You know, I am, I know who you are, but what's your name? You know, 
I know who's on first, third base, you know. He could get it, say, no, no, you tell them that, that is my name. I am sent me to you. That's a strange name. And, and of course, you know, this ordinarily wouldn't, wouldn't be a name, and, and there is no full exposition or explanation of this name anywhere in Scripture. There's no place where you can really dig in and get the nitty-gritty details of, you know, there's no theological treatise that explains all the ins and outs of everything that this name might mean. Why did he give it of himself? And what's the scholars, you know, the Hebrew guys will tell you that that there's not it's not a necessary present tense in the in the verb. It doesn't have to just be is. It's sort of you know, this is sort of way Hebrew works. It it's it doesn't so much have clearly defined tense built into the verb and so therefore it can sort of mean I was and am and will be who I was and am in other words and and occasionally some people uh, you know, some bibles will say it could also say I will be who I will be because the tense isn't clearly defined but in some ways that actually expands the scope of everything that that it could mean I mean you think about God as the ultimate all being, everywhere, all time, everything that ever was, everything that is, everything that is to be. You know, God is in in it, greater than it, responsible for it. It's sort of hard to uh, put put the parameters around. I think it's meant to be without limit. Revelation 1.8, you get to the very end of, of the revealed word what do you get you get something that sounds like this i am the alpha and the omega says the lord god who was and is and who is to come all tenses i am it i am all being all time then he adds this in verse 5 say this to the people of israel the lord notice it's in all caps the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, has sent me to you. What's he doing there? Sort of sounds redundant. He said, I am who I am. Okay, you get the Ahiyah, Then you get, tell them now that the I am sent you. And then, I'm not done. Say it like, here's another way to say it. The Lord, just to be clear, this, this name I'm just giving you, Comma, the God, I am that God of your fathers. But here, here he uses a different form of the B verb that's a little more third person. And that's the key name. That's the one that has really been known throughout Scripture and all time. And that's the one you saw that's the YHWH. The YHWH, that's another form of this B verb. Again, more like a third person form of it, but this built on the same verb, and this is it. Now, this is the biggie. It's four simple consonants. They're all consonants because Hebrew alphabet had no vowels. Four consonants that became known as the unique, sacred name, distinct name of Israel's God. You wouldn't have gone over to the Babylonians or the Assyrians or any of the peoples across the Persia and, and India and the Arab lands, you wouldn't have gone any of those places and found any... You, you could have gone to those places and talked about their gods, 
but you wouldn't have talked about this. This would have been foreign. If, you, if, if any Israelite had said this name to them, they would have said, huh? They wouldn't, they wouldn't have had an equivalent to this. Now, what about this? This, this is the name most frequently used all throughout, over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. This name is the one used over and over. And scholars, of course, have written for years and years and years to try to study all the meaning, to figure out its even, even its pronunciation, because as I said, the oldest, the oldest uh, writing of it had no vowels in it, they knew how it would have been pronounced. We wouldn't have known. And, and you know, later vowels are added, not as distinct letters, but as little markings, like punctuation. But that comes later, and it's sort of guesswork. But scholars have, have, have studied this, these four letters. They call it the tetragrammaton, the four letters. And it's, if you Google it, you'll see what I mean. There is plenty, plenty said on it. This name becomes parts of a lot of names because, you know, names had meanings. And, and this, the shortened version of it, the ya part, becomes the parts of a lot of names. In fact, all those names in the Old Testament, which a lot of people today have, that end in ya, like Isaiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, that ya at the end is a reference to this name, right? It means things like Yahweh saves, Yahweh speaks. Even place names, Moriah, it means seen by Yahweh. It also can appear at the beginning of names. So the name Joshua was originally Yahoshua. It's three syllables. And the and that first part was referred to Yahweh. And that, of course, is especially an interesting name because that was the name given as the first name to Mary's child. Yes, the name Jesus is in fact Yeshua, Yahoshua. It is the name Joshua. It means Yahweh saves. So Jesus himself bears that name in his common Hebrew name. But Israel, you know, upon getting this name, Israel came to believe that in order to obey the commandment not to take that name in vain, they believed that it ought not even be spoken aloud. Because in overusing it, in letting it casually come out of your mouths all the time, there's a lot greater risk that you treat it in vain. That is, you treat it in an empty and light way. You may trash that name. And so, so it became a sort of tradition to, as the kids would say today, Keep that name out your mouth. Don't say it. Don't say it. How do you not say it when it's the most common, prominent name of all and appears over 6,800 times throughout the scripture? Well, one thing they would sometimes do is refer to that name simply as the name. The name. And that's what it looks like uh, in Hebrew, the four letters, right? The Y-H-W-H reading the other way. But here you have the name Hashem. Ha is just a definite article. It just means the name. And you get this, of course, in various, you get that construction even in verses we know well. In the Psalms, blessed be the name. Job said the same thing, didn't he? Blessed be the name. 
Baruch Hashem, blessed, the name. So they would refer to the name like that instead of actually saying it. That was one thing they would do. But this leads to something else. This leads to something else. When they read all the scripture from the scrolls, why they encounter that name over and over, as I said. It's everywhere in the text. And so what do you do if, you, if you've got this tradition where you don't say it aloud? It's too sacred to say in their minds. What do I do? I'm reading it. It's here over and over. Well, what they would do is they would, they would substitute another name. And what name did they substitute? Adonai they substituted. Adonai. Because as I said, Adonai just means Lord. And it is a title of God. He is Lord. But it's not a proper name. It wasn't considered. It's not the distinct proper name of God. It's not considered sacred in that sense. So they didn't mind saying that name. And what they would simply do is every place Yahweh is in the text, they would simply say Adonai. So they had these. They had this tradition of saying, there's the name that is written, and there is the name that is spoken. So, written, you don't dare change what is written. That's the words of God. You don't dare adjust what is written. That must be faithfully copied. But, in pronunciation, as you're reading through, you simply would substitute Adonai. Now, as I said, at some point, at some point, vowels were introduced in actual writing. They called them, they would call them vowel points. The scribe would stick little, you know, you sometimes see here when you see those little, little markings around it, attempts to show what the vowels should be. But, you know, some of it's guesswork. And scribes, some scribes would actually begin to take that name with the four letters, and when they put the vowels in, they would, they would put the vowels for Adonai, in that name. They would use the vowels for Adonai. Well, what that does is it certainly makes it a three-syllable word. If you can read that, good for you. It makes it a three-syllable word. I'm only telling you this because some people, when you begin to to study this and think about this, some people wonder, well, what about the name Jehovah? That appears all the time. King James uses it in a few cases and you know, grew up hearing it, and, and it would be in songs and prayers, right? Jehovah, isn't that a good name? Yes. And Jehovah is intended to be this name. Another pronunciation. But why that pronunciation? And it's just a simple story of it substituting the, the Adonai vowels into the four letters. Well, what about the J? Well, that happens because, as you know, in many languages and in, in the oldest English, J was pronounced Y, like a Y, yeah. Hear that in other languages today. And what about the V? Because V and W are somewhat interchangeable. They're the same Hebrew letter, whether you say it's a Wa or a Va. And I'm pretty sure that in modern spoken Hebrew, because Hebrew was dead for years as a, as a street language, as a language spoken aloud, as, as casual conversation, but today the modern state of Israel revived Hebrew, and today there are people speaking it, of course, there. And and when they see that letter, they I think typically would pronounce it with a V. So so Yahweh can be Yahweh. This is how you get Jehovah. So there's no mystery to it. There's no mystery to it. Well, what does that mean for the Jehovah's Witnesses? They told me it's the only name I can use. Well, they got a few problems, but you know. <laughs> 
that's just one. That's the least of it. <laughs> okay. Uh, but there's no sin in using it. That's fine. That's cool if they want to use it. It's probably not the best representation of it. But no harm, no foul. If you want to use it, go for it. It's great. I like how it sounds. And, you know, we couldn't do away with Jehovah. We'd have to do away with, you know, Jehovah Jireh. I mean, no, we can't get rid of that. And, and several others, too. And so, therefore, one other thing we have to deal with now, because we're trying to understand this name and learn about this name, the most fundamental, basic name that God said, this is my name forever. How about this? Another question. How do we translate this very unique name? It's too important not to, it's too important to just overlook it or just say, oh, just say God instead. Well, as you well know, English, like most languages, have words for things like God or gods. They have words for Lord. They have, most languages have a word for creator. Most languages have a word for like redeemer or savior. You think of all the titles. Most languages have that. But no languages have equivalents for this, do they? You know, just plug Yahweh into a dictionary uh for any language and see what pops up. If anything, it'd just be Yahweh again. They just keep it in Hebrew. There's no equivalent. It's too unique. It's too strange. So what have, what have they done? When English translators, oh, let's, tra let's make a translation so people can read it. And then they come across the YHWH. What do I do with it? Well, what they did is they, they followed the tradition of Adonai. They followed the Adonai pattern and they said, let's just make it Lord. But here's the thing. Adonai itself appears in different places in the text. And if we just make Yahweh, if we translate that just Lord, and then we translate Adonai, Lord, then, you know, no one reading will ever know whether it's the special, unique name of God or the word Lord. Is there a way we might set it apart? Of course there is. It's called type font. Consider Psalm 110 if you've got eyes to see it. Psalm 110 in the tiny letters on my screen here. Notice the difference in type. Psalm 110, as you know, is a, is a messianic, as messianic as any chapter you'll find in the Psalms. And I blew up the first verse here where it says, the first words of Psalm 10, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord says to my Lord, well, there's Lord twice. And did you note the difference in how it's printed? Of course you did. The Lord, caps, said to my Lord, not caps. You see that? And it simply comes down, it's very simple. Every time in your English Bible you see cap, Lord in caps, you're looking at Yahweh. You're looking at the special name, the YHWH. Every time you see it, that's what it is. And and you see, if you see it in other constructions, like putting together, it's sort of like if you see, uh, for example, if you see uh, the Lord God, that might be Yahweh Elohim. If you see uh, the Lord Almighty, it might be Yahweh El Shaddai or something. 
But when you see the caps, that's what you're looking at. Whereas when you see the lowercase Lord, you're looking at the word Adonai. And of course, this 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 psalm, this psalm is a entirely a different sermon for a different day. Because if you read the rest of it, I mean, you see, I mean, the writer of Hebrews doesn't has an entire chapter on uh, on uh, verse four. <laughs> Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I mean, this is a highly messianic psalm. And so, you know, here you have David saying, The Lord said to my Lord, David is the king of everything. Who is this Lord who said to my Lord, sit at my right hand? Well, I mean, I'm sh- sure you you know that uh, this, this is quoted in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, did you know that as much as Psalm 110 is quoted in the New Testament, as it well as it is a lot, that this first verse, they tell us, is the single most quoted, most often quoted verse. In other words, there are more direct quotations of that verse than any other verse in New Testament writings. How about that? Well, they must have thought it's pretty important. They must have thought that this interesting verse that has Lord Yahweh and Lord Adonai and the Lord said to my Lord. They must have thought it was pretty important. And the reason, of course, is because this is messianic. And time does not permit us to explore it further than that. But you got you got resources. Go for it. We've got to make our point here. What, what does it mean to us? What's in a name? This name revealed to Moses. It sets... Israel's God apart in the most distinct way. Now, more than just saying, my God, God, capital, your God, lowercase. But the other nations didn't have an equivalent to this designation. You couldn't say in another nation, which Yahweh? You can say, which God do you worship? Who's God? What's your God's name? You couldn't say, which Yahweh do you worship? Who's Yahweh? There's only one, only one of him. And God tells him, this is my name forever. I will be known by this name. And of course, the name, any name, means more than just the letters of it or the sound of it, right? It's not like a, it's not like a, a, a verbal talisman. You say it and magic is in the pronunciation or there's some mystical code thing that happens, some mojo. And this, that's, not, that's not where the power is. That's not what makes the name special. Any name... Is, is only, every, everything about it is what it represents. Who and what it represents. That's, what the, that's why they talk about a great name. It's not that your great name, meaning, man, those letters sure look good together. Man, it really rolls off the tongue nicely. No, no. They, they, it's, it's just a way of saying your great name, your great person. Who you are is great. And the name is emblematic and representative of who you are. Think of... Think of Jesus' name. As I said, Jesus' name is an average, everyday Hebrew or Jewish name. It's just Joshua. There were a lot of dudes walking around Israel named Joshua. It's it's an everyday, regular name. So it wasn't the name Yeshua that was somehow, oh, that's not that name itself. It's who this particular Yeshua was. That's why we pray in his name. And we talk about doing great things in his name, as well as small things, like giving a cup of cold water 
in his name. And, of course, Paul says that it is in his name that every knee will bow. That's what is captured in the name. That's why we sing about the name, your great name. Let his name be known among the nations to make his name great, make his name famous. It's not the word, the pronunciation, the lettering, the embroidering, the font. None of that matters at all. It is what is represented. It is the who that is behind the name. And so we, we have something here special. So when you think about God, you know, you know the Arabic, uh, the Arabic name for God, Allah, that is so important in the Islamic world, is the equivalent of the, you can hear it really, of the generic Hebrew name El, right? El and Al. To my knowledge, I don't know that there's much of an equivalent for Yahweh among Muslims, or if it's emphasized. It is unique. So when you think about God, when you think about God, the calling on your life, that's not from generic creator God, just generic super intellect, maker of things, distant, mega mind in the, in the med, out somewhere, computer-like, all-powerful. No, no. When you think about your calling, how you relate to God, you think of this God. This is a distinct person. And so when we sing and when we pray and in all the things we do, we don't do those things in the name of generic God, generic, powerful, creator, person. We do it in this special name. And it's connected. The name Revealed to Moses that was great and remains great, his name forever, and and that name that was made great by the God-man who had that name in his name, Yeshua, and who said, in fact, in John 8:58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. 